Welcome to the AA Pod, where the podcast for health professionals and the wider community look to explore diverse ideas in health, ask the hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches, and joining me as always is Allied Health business owner Andrew. Andrew. What beer are we drinking today? Today we have the Furphy, the refreshing <laughs> ale, apparently, from uh, from uh, Victoria, Victoria, yes. uh, with a balanced flavour and a slightly dry finish that offers true refreshment. Incredibly unknown craft beer, the Furphy. <laughs> Definitely, you, you, most of you probably haven't come across it before. It's not mm. very common. <laughs> that to be completely open um there were some beers in the in in the fridge um and i went out and grabbed the the one well we already had some so i didn't go b- bother buying any and there was one that looked like a 150 lashes uh it was james squire green label had the two spades on it i was like sweet we'll just do lashes because that's fine that's easy uh, and then opened it and took a swig and went, oh, that's quite sweet. And then looked and said Orchard Crush on it. <laughs> Apple cider. I was like, fuck. Oh, no. What a terrible what I want. Terrible way to start a Friday with so, a cider. I've just had to finish that one off and now I can actually start on the on the Furphy. There we go. It's just a normal beer. Mm. So what are we talking about this afternoon? Today we're going to do our first ever debate on on the pod which is very exciting um we we've been waiting for the right topic and we think we've found one and the topic is over servicing in private practice now the point of this is not for us to kind of be somewhere in the middle about over servicing the point of this is for us to take um a hard standpoint on either end of the spectrum and kind of argue those points strongly um, and flesh it all out. Hopefully then giving us the information where we can go, right, okay, maybe my, I was too far on one side that I should have been um, or, you know, too far one way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, we'll say this at the end as well, that the perspectives that we talk about today uh, may or not be may or may not be our own perspectives on this. We, the yeah. point of this is, is a bit of an exercise in, in, in seeing the extremes of um, the topic and mm. that our perspectives professionally probably lie somewhere in the middle mm. of those two. But mm. for the sake of this, we're going opposite ends. So what are you defending? I am, I am arguing that there is no such thing as over-servicing. All right, and I'm taking the other end, which is their over-servicing is definitely a thing in, in private practice. So we should probably then start with mm. a bit of a definition yeah. about what over-servicing is so that we can mm. then see or then be able to argue our perspectives off a definition. So we've done some research. Yes, and um, this, is, this is from a very, very reliable source. <laughs> Um, from a professional uh, physio body in South... uh, Sorry, not South Australia, in um, South Africa. South Africa. (laughs) Uh, Our good friends over there in South Africa. And this is the definition they have for over-servicing. You ready? 
Let's go. Ready for a word vomit? All right. The supply, provision, administration, use or prescription of any treatment or care which is medically and clinically not indicated, unnecessary or inappropriate under the circumstances or which is not in accordance with recognized treatment protocols and procedures without due regard to both the financial and health interests of the patient. That's a lot of words there. That's a big sentence. So, um, I, I figure that the, the easiest way to start off this is, is for us to kind of break that down and, and argue through each of these points. Argue, discuss, hard, yeah, honestly argue uh, these points. So I'm gonna start here. I'm gonna start with um, the not medically or clinically indicated. Now, I think that this uh, is rampant in healthcare. Rampant? You like that word? That's a strong word. I think this is rampant in, in our health. Uh, that there is a lot of non-medically or clinically justified treatment going on and it's being sold to people um, through poor narratives that are not evidence-based. Um, and I think it's more common than what you think. Uh, what, I, what I've found is, especially with people coming out of uni, there is some very, very uh, old school point of views that are being taken and taught to new grads and then these people are pushing these narratives um, and pushing this non-medically indicated treatment upon people. Now, uh, maybe not so much in EP but with some other passive therapies, I know that one of my good mates when he did physio was still learning about uh, electrical stimulation for, for management of chronic pain and coming in twice weekly to see a physio to do electrical stimulation is not medically indicated, but it definitely still happens. And I definitely still have people come through the door um, to see me, an EP, uh, who have had this treatment recently. And I don't think you can deny that that is definitely happening. I am absolutely going to deny that it is happening, as is my standpoint. I believe, no, I don't believe, but I will argue the point that if a patient, whether it is placebo or real, is finding benefit from doing tens twice a week forever with their practitioner, and they are getting benefit from that, then it is absolutely clinically warranted, clinically justified, because the patient feels better afterwards. So. The narrative that is used doesn't matter. Why would it matter? If the, if the patient feels better after receiving that treatment, why should we question it? How can you justify that clinically though, if with those two sessions a week, you could be doing something that has got a much better evidence base behind it for improving their quality of life, improving their functional capacity to do meaningful goals and that sort of thing. How can you argue that TENS, stainless example, yep. is just as good as that? Well, there's a couple of places to argue that from. One place is that I am therefore, if I'm seeing five patients at a time, mm -hmm. I can put a TENS machine on all five of them and be able to treat five people at a time. And a percentage of those people will feel better after doing it. So there is a financial incentive for me 
to provide that treatment to them. Oh yeah, remember, nice. dig yourself yeah. a hole, mate. Not, not, dig, no, no, dig yourself a hole. Go not on. my, not my personal opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get yeah. the point. Um, and they feel better, or some of them will feel better after doing that. And if that, if that means that they are then able to go out into their real life and do more meaningful things, why would I stop doing that? So you're kind of arguing time efficiency is there as well for you. Because you can put like five people on it. I could put five people on it. Those machines are fairly cost effective to purchase. And I could see multiple people and help a percentage of them to feel better through receiving that treatment. Hmm. But, yeah, but instead of using that why couldn't you teach someone if you're going down the route of whether it's placebo or not why couldn't you teach someone once or twice how to use a foam roller and get the same results and they can do it at home for 20 bucks well again there is a financial incentive for me to do that uh, because perhaps they are misusing their foam roller (laughs) I don't know how one misuses a foam roller, but you never know. Um, because they're doing it under my guidance. Because I get, because it's a, from a, a client's perspective, you know, part of, part of evidence now is that we don't know the exact mechanisms by which people improve. So if I could rely on, you know, Evidence, mm. and I'm not saying it's good evidence, but mm. it's evidence that mm. electrical stimulation and those things work. And that person feels like by going and by having their health be taken care of by a professional, irrespective of the modality that's used, that that is actually improving their quality of life because they are taking. They are taking responsibility for that by seeking advice from someone who then applies a, a treatment modality to them. I'm not saying it's a good treatment modality, but there is some potential progress to be made there. Okay. Fair. Gotcha. Well, we'll, we'll stop arguing that point because we'll go round and round and round in circles. I'm going to take the next point um and it is it's 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 kind of similar to that uh i'm gonna argue that there's definitely over servicing when it comes to uh someone seeing a practitioner and they've been seeing them for a long time and they reach a plateau and they reach a plateau in their progress and their improvement and whatever um or however they're trying to work towards their goals um, and they're no longer getting any close to that yet people still will continue to or practitioners will still continue um, to get people to come in on a regular basis for maintenance of that plateau I don't think that's correct I think if you reach a plateau with someone it means you should change tap whether that is still seeing the same practitioner but trying a different method because clearly where you've got to, you've reached a stopping point there. You need to change something. 
whether that's a treatment modality or seeing a different practitioner, I think something needs to change. And I think there is too much of that not changing where someone goes, well, this is what I do. Um, I get people to come see me this amount of times continuously and I do the same thing with them. Um, and if this is where they're at, this is their plateau, fine by me, we'll keep going because we've got to maintain that plateau. Mm-hmm. And I don't think maintaining a plateau is a good enough reason to keep seeing someone. Excellent. I hope, <laughs> I hope you enjoy my answer to this. Is that if someone reaches a plateau, then that is cause for seeing that person more. <laughs> they should be seen more often because clearly... <laughs> oh, I was just choked on my throat. Yeah, go on. <laughs> clearly... I spent all of this time at university. I've done all of this professional development. I'm listening to amazing podcasts like this one. You're so smart. Exactly. Right. I'm fulfilling the narrative that I have in my head that I'm awesome. Yeah. And I should be the one to help this person pass their plateau because I have the skills to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. What we need then is either volume or intensity to change through that plateau. And in order to get both of them, you need to see me more times, Mm. not less. Okay, so you're coming at it from a standpoint of, uh, like with a training intensity for exercise, that if you get to a point, well, we need to change something, maybe that's the volume or the intensity, the intensity of whatever treatment you're providing. Now, is that relevant for treatments that aren't exercise, the volume and intensity? Or are you just know. using... <laughs> Can you turn a TENS machine? <laughs> are you just using fit principles here? Which <laughs> is not relevant. Uh, fit principles was like semester one. Of yeah. I think I was even like year 10. Some frequency, intensity, <laughs> time and type. Yeah. I mean, that, that person has put their trust in me. We know that through... We know that progression in rehab whatever whatever the the condition that we are um helping this person to improve their life with whether it's musculoskeletal or metabolic or cardiovascular that it's never linear right Mm. it's never like you will just follow this exact path and you will get better in x amount of time and we would hope that their improvement or or no their plateaus in in care um should if you're if you're a good practitioner you should be accounting for them or you should be planning for them Mm. and when somebody does hit a plateau in their treatment what should you be doing at those times to help them push through it because we know it's going to bounce all over the place and the answer Mm. is to see me more because i can help you with that is that going to sell to patients will it sell Depends how good a salesman you are, I suppose. I think that might be part of part of the problem. Um, is that some? Oh, okay. Here, are you ready? There's some health practitioners are actually just better salesmen than they are practitioners. Whoa! And that they are now surviving off seeing the same clients and prospering probably financially because they're very, very good at selling what they do. And clients, patients are very good at being sold to. They are. If you can 
connect with people emotionally and provide a solution to a, a problem that they may have had for a very long time that's having a significant impact on their life and you touch them at that kind of right place at the right time, mm. it's very much that way. And you see this in, in personal training very much, right? Like people out there go and see like the same personal trainer five days a week. Mm. Just not even because of the exercise, but because of the connection that they have mm. with that person. So you think that's valuable? From the, from the purpose that I'm, I'm yes. arguing from? Yeah. Because I want to be able to have that connection with people to know that when we hit a plateau, that that's okay mm. and that's normal, mm. but I have a solution oh, yeah. to that problem, which is to spend more time with me. Sounds more like an excuse than a solution. And, and I totally agree that, um, you know, there's, there's probably a, a huge cohort of professionals out there who are better salesmen um, or women than, than applying evidence-based treatment to the person that's sitting in front of them. Um, but perhaps that's what their clients want. They just want someone to have the confidence to tell them it's going to be all right. Got you covered. Don't worry. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep, keep coming. coming. All right. Well, let, let's get into the meaty bit of this then. Mm. Um, I think that a lot of over-servicing comes from financial, uh, from a financial situation mm -hmm. where it is beneficial for the practitioner for this person to come more, whether it's clinically indicated or not. Um, and I think that when sold to, a patient or client can place themselves at financial burden because an expert is telling them what to do. And we fall into this kind of dynamic of, this is the expert and I should do what they say because they know what they're talking about and unknowingly put themselves in financial burden uh, when it's unnecessary. When they could be seeing someone who provides more self-management strategies, who creates a, um, a relationship with them where there's joint decision-making, where they kind of encourage autonomy with them and I feel like there's, there's people there who are not doing that and are taking advantage of the poor client in this situation. Not poor, not poor financially, the, the poor, poor client. The little person. The little person. The little person who is just there and they're just going to say yes because the, the, nice, the nice person in the, in the nice clothes, the nice clinic with the fancy watch said, I should keep coming. And I think that's wrong. And I think it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not arguing that it happens a lot. Okay. I, I believe that it does happen a lot. And I mm -hmm. think it is very, very easy for practitioners to abuse that power. Mm. My stance would be that that is in the best interest of the client. What is? For them to commit to a treatment protocol that has been dictated to them 
Oh, that's... <laughs> don't know if you should use that word to help you defend <laughs> the point there. <laughs> Go on, dictator. Because... <laughs> because... It's what my history as a practitioner has taught me. That over the years of my experience, I can rely on... All of the people that I've helped. Oh, yeah, go on. Give me the anecdotal evidence. All of those people who rave about me. Yeah, right. And I I have (laughs) cured them. I have cured them. And why wouldn't I apply that to everyone else? Because who wouldn't want to see the... (laughs) The absolute <laughs> messiah of, of providing healthcare, which is you. It is. It really is. Wow. God. If anyone else could see the, the glorious, <laughs> like, hand positions wide out, like, come to me, my people. I, I am in charge and I can help you with my magic hands. And oh, I'm going to keep going. Drive it home. I'm going to keep going. I did some research in preparation yeah, go for this on. podcast. So I've got some statistics for you. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I googled it, so I don't, I don't know how reliable these statistics are. But in terms of financial burden, right? If you are a Australian earning mm-hmm. $50,000 a year, yep. you are in the top 2% of people earning in the whole world, right? So... Well, if you're... It's a good stuff. You... I don't know how reliable that is, so don't quote me on it. But... <laughs> so... Record. And the the average Australian income, average, is $59,538. Is that right? According to some website that I found. There you go. Might be a South African... <laughs> <laughs> so what are you waiting for? Like... In terms of the resources that people have right now at their disposal, we are living in Australia in one of the most prosperous times ever in human history. Mm. So why on earth would I not advocate strongly to see me super regularly if I am then able to improve your quality of life? Now, you talk about financial burden, right? Well, what about the financial burden of that person not being able to do their job because they're in pain? Or the financial burden of a person with diabetes on themselves and on the public health system when that diabetes becomes a much more chronic and complex condition Mm. years down the track. Mm. So I think it is a disservice to the person and I think it's a disservice to the public health system if we are not over-servicing because we should be able if we're good at our job and we all are (laughs) that we should we must be able to turn these conditions around and the only way that you're going to do that is to see me five days a week now whether that is an EP or a chiro or a psychologist doesn't matter the more the better and from a financial perspective it is an investment Mm. it's an investment in your health right now and it is investment in your health in the future Mm. and 
Who am I to determine how much you can afford or how much value that you place on your health? Mm. Because that's that's like, you know, all, all debating aside, that's a, an important point that a lot of new grads struggle with, right? Is that I feel a bit guilty if I ask someone whether or not they should come and see me for a a treatment protocol that is less than evidence-based guidelines would suggest to that mm. person, mm. Um, which is a huge problem, which is underservicing, which is far, far worse than overservicing, in my opinion. That's actually a good point. Um, and see, I'm going to... I'm going to acknowledge that's a really good point because I think people should take note of that, that underservicing is definitely an issue. Um, but where I will uh, rebut you is two things. I'm going to, I'm going to take your Google stats to, <laughs> to work here uh, with a stat that I'm pulling from my head that I heard a while ago. Excellent. Which it's is probably as reputable as very, very, very reliable. Uh, um, that even though we have very, very high average yearly salaries... Sydney, based on average rent prices uh, compared to average income, is the third most unlivable place to live in the world. Oh. Behind Hong Kong and New York, I'm pretty sure. So, That's in terms of having a lot of spare cash lying around the house, um, there isn't much. Because it's going, <laughs> it's going into my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. isn't much. So I'm going to rebut your Google stack with a Google stat. That's a good stat. Um, I like that. Stat. Where, where I will uh, take the more useful stuff is that I don't think that over-servicing is defined by seeing someone a lot. Because I think it is. it can be clinically justified... Um, to see someone a lot, if it's necessary. And I, that is not over-servicing. I think that is good. If someone needs it, and if you have had the conversation with them, it's like, hey, for you to get the most benefit out of, I'll use exercise as an example, because I can talk from experience. If for you to get the most benefit out of exercise, you need to be doing you know, resistance training at least two, three times a week. Okay, for your given condition, diabetes, yeah, um, because that's what the evidence, that's what the guidelines say. Now, I don't think it's over-servicing for me to have a discussion with the person and then go, you know what, if I'm going to get there, uh, I'm going to need to see you three, four times a week. I'll be like, great, cool. If you feel like you need that to reach those guidelines to get the best outcomes, awesome. Let's do it. That does not mean that I will not encourage them to self-manage and implement some strategies outside of our sessions. I will still encourage them to learn how to do things, to have some decision-making in what we're doing in our sessions and encourage them to build their own capacity to start doing some of this stuff without me. Yeah, But yeah, I think you're right in that a lot of people will underservice. Uh, and it would almost be irresponsible of us to not at least offer the correct dose, the correct amount of treatment to someone 
uh, because we're worried that it will place a financial burden on someone. It's that that I think is unethical for us to go here. Let me offer you a shit sandwich uh, once a week because I don't want to put too much pressure on you. Yeah, when I should be offering you the best sandwich, the Subway foot long. <laughs> <laughs> Subway is the best sandwich. Oh, I don't know what's the best. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a better sandwich? I actually don't. No, that's, the, let's go with Subway. The I don't know. The Char Grilled Charlie's Chomper. The the, the, mm. the Mac is Big Mac, Grand Angus. Um, at least offer them that, however much that would cost them, and then have that conversation about whether they need to do that with you or whether they need to work with you to develop some ways where they don't need to come in and see you every time. Mm. I, I totally agree with that. I think um, under-servicing, there's a golf analogy. Go on. And we don't, we don't talk about golf enough. We, 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 we need to. But, no, we definitely we don't. Should. We, we should. Um, I heard this over the weekend, is that you will miss 100% of the putts that you leave short. Mate, that's not a fucking golf thing. That's Wayne Gretzky. Oh, is it? <laughs> is that? Player, Excellent. And he said, you will miss 100% of the shots you don't take. There you go. And when a quick point, yeah, go on. Yeah, golf well, analogy. Tiger Woods said. Tiger Woods said that. <laughs> Google facts. Um, if there, there is no way that a person is going to be able to reach their meaningful goals if you are providing a any sort of service that doesn't meet the expectations of what their meaningful goals are. Mm. Um, you're right that it, it actually should be, and it's, it is a difficult conversation to have with people because it does talk directly about money. Mm. And a lot of times for for new grads in particular, that's, that's a really uh, confronting conversation to have mm. with little old Bob who's got a pension and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it would do Bob far worse to be, to have these, these like expectations that he couldn't afford to be able to come and see me. Therefore, mm. why? Therefore, I'll only offer to see him half an hour once a week because mm. oh, that's all he can afford. Mm. Whereas a much better conversation would be, hey, Bob, you need to be doing five hours a week. How are we going to get you to five hours per week? Now, for the points of this conversation, I would say that, well, you have to go and do it with me because you haven't done it by yourself before. Mm. You're not going to be able to do it in the future. So you need to come and spend that time with me. But in reality, that should just be a conversation. It should be like, this is what we need to do. How are we going to get you there? Would you like to, to do it all with me? Would you like me to set you up with something? Or are we going to meet in the middle somewhere? Um, I think that is a conversation that not a lot of people have with their clients. And it's a hugely important conversation to mm. have because it puts the, the financial question on the table mm. and it allows the person to be able to go, well, actually, yeah, I, I want this one. And provided you are, like, from a from a home perspective or, or from a coming in and seeing me five days a week perspective, you're just giving them the options. Like, mm. that's all that you're doing. Mm. But not, not enough people do that. Mm. And, and where we end up is in under-servicing, which damages the reputation of the practitioner. Because 
why would I refer someone to you if you're not getting results? Which I think is is part of where over-servicing comes in. It's like, well, I've got to see you five times a week, otherwise we won't get results. Mm. Um, and and it just allows people to, to have a very open day. And from, from the times that personally I've done that, people actually enjoy that conversation because they get to have their input mm. into their treatment plan. Mm. Mm. It's quite interesting. So when I've, when I've had that conversation with people, um, you often get quite surprising answers. And, and look, I can't remove my bias from uh, meeting someone and going, oh, look, they've come in on an EPC uh, from a bulk bill GP clinic where you know, they're going to have you know, four to five Medicare sessions. And then the way this normally goes is you know, they expect a bulk build session uh, five sessions and then it'll be well that's it thanks see you later um, and it's actually surprising sometimes because you have this conversation with people as you should and they actually go oh no I think uh, based on what we've discussed it would be really beneficial if I came and saw you a couple times a week at least to get me started um, and it kind of takes you back sometimes because you go wow I had uh, kind of a you know, an impression of you before you even walked in the door because I knew where you were coming from. And that's not a good way to look at it. Uh, but it's impossible to not see that sometimes. But you can't let that stop you from having that conversation. Mm. It's like, it doesn't matter where you come from. I still need to, uh, as a clinician um, who aspires to be a good clinician, uh, it is up to me to, to tell you what I think is necessary and clinically justified to help you in your position reach your goals and work towards your meaningful activities. Um, and I definitely feel like sometimes we, we pull back from that because we're worried and we don't want to be put someone in an awkward situation where we feel like they might not be able to uh, afford mm. that service. Are we Question for you on this one are we undervaluing ourselves or is that oh, 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 hold on write, write that one down in the notebook are we undervaluing ourselves yes is the answer <sighs> thank you allied health business owner Andrew are we undervaluing ourselves I, I don't know if you should answer that question right yeah, now. Yeah, I might, because that's, that's, mm. that's open up a can of I, th I think what we should do is kind of realize that from these two standpoints is that over-servicing may happen, but I think it's very, very common for us to under-service as well. And it's more likely for someone, especially a young practitioner, an experienced practitioner, who maybe doesn't have full confidence their ability yet to underservice, mm. and they think that by by compromising on their treatment plan that they're doing that person a favour. Mm. But really, you just haven't given the person the option, mm. which is totally, totally taking away their decision making process. Because if you say to old Bob, "Old Bob, I'll just see you once a week." there's no opportunity for him to go, oh, well, I thought, don't the exercise guidelines say I need to do five mm. days a week and 150 mm. minutes or whatever it is. Mm. Um, it's, it's much more difficult for him to ask that question. And that's not fair to him. 
Mm. That's not fair to the the person that referred to you to help that person improve mm. their their health. And like personally, underservicing is far worse than overservicing. Um, because you're you're damaging the reputation of yourself and you're damaging the reputation of the profession when we don't or when we end up with like coming from the perspective of an EP, it's like, oh, I tried EP, it didn't work. Yeah. And that's shit. That's not a good place for us to be coming from. Mm. Mm. Definitely. I think and you can broaden that to other services as well, that if you go to someone and the thing they take away is that I had a conversation with them, they said I would really benefit from you know, starting off a couple times a week, whatever it was, um, and I couldn't quite afford that or I couldn't you know, place enough value on it. So we had a discussion and then she's given me some self-management strategies I could go on with. That's a much nicer experience than going hey, this is what we really could be getting. I can't quite get that. How can we make up the difference? Rather than going, um, they recommended uh, once and then I'll come back in two weeks. Um, and, you know, that's a long time. A lot can change in two weeks. Maybe I forget about them. Uh, maybe I get sick. Mm. Maybe the first couple of days aren't great. And then I might not go back. Maybe I got sore the first time and mm. I haven't felt sore before. And I was like, well, what the fuck's this? And so I won't do it again. Mm. so and that's relevant not just for exercise but for other things as well Mm. because I know um, especially sometimes if someone's seeing a chiro and they uh, have some manual manipulations for the first time uh, and some different kind of soft tissue work it's very common to feel sore the next day afterwards and that can leave a bad taste in people's mouth if that conversation hasn't been had and they haven't organised another time to catch up soon so they can have that conversation Mm. yeah Totally agree. Mm. And that might be the one only chance they give that. And then that's it. That's it. Big problem. Big problem. Not helping the person. No, not helping the person. Yeah. All right. Cool. We, we definitely, uh, the furfies have disappeared. Mm. So despite our slacking them off at the, at the front end of their... They've gone down quite easily. But is, is there a lack of craftiness to it? There is. There is a... Is it too bland? It is very bland. It is... Uh, it does not offer the... Uh, well, maybe it does offer a subtle and balanced flavour. It's just not very... It needs to be less subtle. And, and that's what the craft beers are for, right? Because you can't really bring in a craft beer... And go, hey, look, this tastes exactly like Tui's new <laughs> Buy us. And I was like, no, no, no. Why would I do like that? to break into the market? A, a new beer has got to go. Wow, look at us. Mm. You know, part of that's the label. Like Sly Fox did that. Mm. They had a good label. Then the product didn't really back up the label. <laughs> um, so they put a, should have put a little bit more time into brewing and less into the marketing. Mm. Um, but. Sometimes they go too far. Yeah. The Sly Fox went a bit too far. Have you had a... I don't know if we talked about this on the pod before. Have you come across a cucumber colch before? No, I haven't had a cucumber colch. I've had a watermelon something. Pilsner. Something. Pilsner. It tasted like watermelon beer, which you think, oh, 
watermelon beer. That's a good idea. Refreshing. And then you taste it and you go, well, watermelon beer, that's exactly what it says on the bottle. And it's yeah. how, it tastes terrible. Yeah. Why would you put watermelon in beer? Exactly. I'm <laughs> buying a beer to drink. <laughs> no, this sounds bad. Because now I'm that ad. It's like, I just want beer to taste like real beer. And it's like, but I don't want beer to taste like watermelon. <laughs> it's not a good... Cucumber is the exact same thing. You go, oh, wow, interesting. Mm. I wonder what cucumber culture would taste like. And it tastes way too much like cucumber <laughs> and not enough like beer. Oh. And it's it's disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> and if you don't get it on a tasting platter and you get a scooter of it, mm. you're very, very sad for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> very sad. You just sort of keep edging it away yeah. from you. Hopefully the, yeah. the glass you'll take it and away. And they always come from crafty breweries. Mm. So you paid 10 bucks for the scooter as well. And you're just having a bad day. <laughs> it's not good. Beer chat. Mm. Beer chat. That's it. Alrighty. Uh, any any other thoughts? Anything else to add there? I'm good. I mm-hmm. think I think uh, as we sort of mentioned at the start that our our while we argued either end of that spectrum that mm. our true practitionery beliefs sort of lie in the middle somewhere. Yeah. But but the conclusion that we came to that I think is is worth a takeaway is that. While there definitely is over-servicing, there definitely is under-servicing. Mm. And both have got drawbacks to them. Mm. So don't, if you're a new practitioner, don't be afraid to have those conversations with people about what the best treatment or what the best evidence says mm. this person should be doing. Mm. And lay the, the financial conversation on the table and, and go like, this is what I recommend how are we going to get you there? Yeah. And let them have some say in that. That's it. If you hide the conversation from them, you'll never know the answer. Boom. Love it. Boom. Boom. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll be back in a fortnight. Uh, leave a review. Follow the podcast. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.